This is Farmers Inside Track, supported by Food from Zanzi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. How's it in Zanzi and welcome to another virtual Farmers Inside Track episode. My name is Dawn Numdu and I'm the editor of Food Form Zanzi and with me is Corbus Lawrence, the co-founder of South Africa's leading agricultural news and lifestyle platform. This is my first remote podcast recording and your second one, Corbus, and I must say it feels kind of weird sitting here and technically talking to myself <laughs> in our office here at home. That's true. This is actually my third one, so I'm a bit more used to it. Um, I think we've sorted out most of the technical problems as well. Crazy times. At Foodform Zanzi, we actually just launched a special COVID-19 resource page on our website, encouraging people to stay home, stay safe, and then we're helping them stay sane in these crazy times with solid information and also you know, interesting stories that help tell you what's happening outside the four walls where you are isolated in. Corbus, today we're connecting with Chief Economist at the National Agricultural Marketing Council, Dr. Sofiso Ndombela, and I'm looking forward to find out how we're going to pull through this economically, especially within the agricultural sector. Do stay tuned to find out more. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food Form Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. On to our guest, Chief Agricultural Economist at the National Agricultural Marketing Council, Dr. Sufiso Ndombela. Great to have you with us. How are you coping in self-isolation, pulling out any hairs on your head yet? I'm doing great and I'm trying to keep safe, self-isolating during these COVID-19 times. And thank you for inviting and having me. It certainly is treating us well. I just hope that Minister Panyazali Sufi can take his colleagues and clients and take them out of my house. Yes. I feel that too. My kids discovered that audible audiobooks are free for yeah. the foreseeable future. So they've been listening to Harry Potter all day. So that keeps them occupied. Yeah. I understand that the NAMC's offices are closed, but I'm sure you're still running full steam with the rest of your team. Absolutely. We're still running full steam. But you also know that since we are advisory provider to the Minister of Agriculture, so we are in the front line, basically, making sure that she has all the advisors she needs to make the correct decision during this time. It certainly is. And sometimes there's some of the work that you used to get with your colleague close by during the office hours. Now you have to do that. You have to do all your data analysis and mining. So the work seems to be doubling. But what is even more difficult is that the agency of the work that is needed, it's much more higher than it was and demanding during this time. So how will the current state of the economy influence the price of food for all South Africans? I think maybe to answer that question, Gobas, and thanks very much for it, because that's very critical and it's one of the priority concerns amongst all the South Africans. I think it's safe to say that South Africa has a very vibrant and relatively well-established food supply system. So in terms of food stock and food availability, that is somehow basically well-managed and it will be able to sustain us 
during the COVID-19 shutdown and beyond the near future term. What you talked about, which is basically one of the components of the food security, as we all know that availability and access, as well as the affordability part of it, which is the food pricing. There are two elements that we're basically seeing. One of it was basically the panic buying by some of the consumers towards the shutdown and a few days after we've shut down, uh, which basically caused the interruption of food supply on the supermarket. As you know, that we have this long supply chain that is so advanced and complicated. So when there's interruption in some segments, it tends to affect the availability of food at the shelf. That did have a knock-on effect on the prices. We saw some slight spike on certain commodities, like ranging from bread to wheat and other commodities. That has sort of settled down as people go back into their normal purchasing patterns. We're sort of pleased to see that trend coming up. The new trend that are starting now to show up is those commodities that we don't have a comparative advantage in the domestic market. Now, I'm talking about commodities like rice, wheat, which affects our bread, palm oil, and other commodities. We've seen the price of rice coming in that has now increased from around about 6,000 to tilting up to closer to the 9,000 rand per kilogram. That is going to affect some of those commodities. But I think it's important to also say that that price effect won't be factored in immediately on the price. We are likely to see that price factored in maybe in the next month or two months down the line. Those are the rising concerns that we could start to see on certain commodities, which will then affect our pricing of product we buy from the shelves. If the lockdown is extended to the middle of the year, touch wood, perhaps even to the end of the year, what will the impact be on the country economically? We've seen the variable scenarios, and I think it's important also to take note of what the health authorities have said on the possibility of extension, that that probability or that scenario is still very early to even consider at this stage. We're not so sure whether they will be extended or not. But should that be the case, one of the things that we will see is that because when you're looking at our economy, maybe starting from the looking at our economy, that is mainly driven, especially from the expenditure side that is driven by the household, which has very, very strong correlation with GDP, you're likely to have an extended period of non-operation of some strong and important economic activities like manufacturing and other services. That will affect the economic growth. Basically, the way uh, most of us in the economics field talk about a V-shaped recovery or a U-shaped recovery. So basically, it will affect our fast recovery in terms of, of a GDP decline. What the knock-on effect of that in the agricultural sector is that you'll start having more, you'll start having more pressure on products that we rely on on our trading partners that we might not start now to have a, a sufficient stock level to sustain our food supply. You might also start having issues with regards to your farm systems, like your farm labors. Um, start having panic also with the safety of the farm workers. You might start having issues also accessibility of some of the critical inputs that are needed, not only just in the farming, but also in the processing and the logistic part of the, of the value chain. But at this stage, I don't think it will be prudent to basically start saying that is a reality, as we know that all the measures that have been put in place are all working collectively to ensure that we flatten the curve and we basically conquer the containment of the spread of the virus so that we can have our economy up and running as quickly as we can. From where you're sitting, which I think is very central, 
you've got a very a good point of view on, on the crisis. What impact are you seeing on the South African agricultural industry already concerning the farmers and the rest of the industry? What are your main concerns at this point of the crisis? In overall, the immediate impact is very minimal at the sector level. But what we've seen, if we then dissect that statement I'm making to say now, when you're starting to look at, because we know that agriculture, it's a very different industries within the sector itself. We know that agriculture was declared as an essential services. Hence, I'm saying that there has been a minimal disturbance on the day-to-day op- -day operation of the farming sector. But there are those commodities that we've already seen a very strong effect on them that were not declared as essential that did not get the exemption. I'm talking things like um, the wine industry, which is also an export industry. They are really struggling already with that sector. The wool can be added in that list and mohair can be added in that list as well. And all those are your export product and those are the commodities that, that tend to help us to generate foreign earnings. That could already start affecting the sector in terms of generating that income and it affects how we perform in the immediate to the medium term. Other sectors that are starting to have an impact, but not direct impact as those commodities I've mentioned, is some of the export in general, like including now the fruits, as we know that the citrus have just commenced with their export season. Now, as you will know that your ordinary trading systems also takes into account the, the sharing of documentation that has to go along with the product that is crossing across different worlds. Now, some of those products in the past were to be transported through your normal logistic constraints like courier services. Now, we know that the, in the airline industry is basically not functioning normally, and that is affecting the speed of exchanging some of the critical documents that are needed for those export industries, and that is affecting them. And the bulk of the agricultural industries are export-orientated, but at the, the industries captains together with the, the department have already tried to put some measures like coming up and seeing what are the possibilities of exchanging some of those documents, maybe electronically, so that we have a minimal disturbance on the export part. Another issue which we're seeing now is basically the safety and the health sustainability of farmers as well as farm workers. And how do we ensure that we distribute some of the sanitary products that are needed so that we, we minimize any contamination or effect into those? And those measures, some of them pronounced by the minister yesterday and the week before, are some of the measures that are trying to mitigate the effect of those. So in overall, if we could just focus maybe on those main pocket of areas which are significantly impacted, it could further minimize the impact that we're seeing in the sector in the medium to the next two or three months of the agriculture. Outside of the suggestions or points that you just made, how can farmers and consumers learn new ways with this unfolding situation? So we have a very dualistic nature and of agricultural sector, where we have a very strong commercial and relatively poor, not so well-resourced and small-scale farming. One thing for sure which we're seeing is that the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as beyond it, it's going to change the way we're doing business. It's not going to be a business as usual. And there's going to be a very strong element of technology adoption in the sector. So those that will adopt technology much faster and quicker will probably stand a better chance of being in a better competitive position than those that will start that. And that talks to the function of access into that technology and, and the affordability of that technology, which then goes back into our research capabilities of whether is it in place to cope with the needs that the farmers will start having going forward. 
but it also talks into the issues of financing solutions. As we know that our farmers, both commercial and smallholders, are already in significant farm debt level that constrain their ability to farm and to do business correctly. So the two things that we will basically see going forward and somehow are also opportunities of how do we ensure that is basically making technology and research being central into the decision making that we do going forward. But also how we modernize all our system ranging from your trade facilitation system, as I said, issuing your export permit or import permits through electronically to sort of, because those that will also not only improve the efficiencies in the agri sector, but it will also reduce the cost of doing business in the sector. But also now shifting towards making sure that we have technology and we operationalize some of the production system that we have in the farming sector will be some of the benefits itself. This also then talks to another dynamic that could start challenging the sector going forward. As we know that we've been very proud of the sector since it's been a, a, a generator, a biggest generator of labor. Now with this pandemic, and it's basically showing that we now will be forced, the market forces will force the farmers to rely more on, on technologies. And we know technology simply means that we'll be replacing some of the warm bodies or farm workers that we have in the farms. So there's two ways of also looking at that. One, we can look at it as a threat, that it will be threatening our farm workers and our farmers as well. But it could also be an opportunity of now, how do we upskill some of the farm workers and the farmers themselves so that they are better positioned to operate in a more technological advanced world? And that, for me, I see it as an opportunity to say government and industries, mainly government to that extent, must start ensuring that our research and technology development system are in place and they start now to create means of coping even beyond the pandemic, making sure that our sector remains sustainable. This pandemic has already generated so much uncertainty. As you also mentioned, um, everybody's concerned about the effect it's going to have on, on agri-workers. We're already hearing, we're already hearing about um, farmers having to let go some of their workers just to stay afloat in these immediate sort of the initial part of the of the crisis. Are you concerned about smaller and maybe even larger businesses not surviving in the agri space? It is a primal concern, certainly, Kobas. The very primal concern is to say, how do we keep farmers, even the agribusinesses, downstream value chain afloat? So we need to very basically, not only just the financial system, but any other system that is needed to make sure that they keep operating so that that doesn't have to affect our supply of food. That's the first part. The second part is certainly how do we ensure that we keep the farm workers coming to work, being safe, and making sure that they don't contaminate those diseases. And I think some of the measures that have been put in place exactly address that, address those two main issues. Of course, there are other things that are more medium to long term of basically beyond this emergency phase. How do we continue keeping those farmers afloat? And those are the things that are now sitting on the table trying to come up with their lasting solutions to ensure that the sector is maintained. But the, the, the pledges that have been pledged in the financial sense through the land bank and other, and other partnership with the commercial banks are certain to ensure that in, on the immediate term, how do you save jobs and how do you ensure that no farmer basically goes out of business? Because that will also mention that we, we maintain our farming system and we ensure that people don't go hungry without the supply of food. It is also important to make sure that keeping a very close eye and there must be a continuous engagement with our trading partners to ensure that those commodities where we don't have enough stock or supply domestically, we are able to filter those commodities into the market 
Hence, there's also engagement with other sectors to ensure that our ports remain efficient and they're able to quickly process the commodities that we need to ensure that our food is processed and distributed to our consumers across all parts of the country to make sure that every consumer has access to food. Agricultural Minister Tokudi Diza announced funding allocations to mitigate food security in the country through a 1.2 billion rand cash injection for small-scale farmers. Will this cash injection, in your opinion, make a difference and is it enough? It's a function of resource constraint. We certainly can do more with better availability of funds. But in times like this, even the fiscal is constrained, which means the government's expenditure is constrained. But it is a start in the right direction, as you've said. And we're hoping more and more players will come in to assist even those that are not eligible to qualify for the financial relief in the medium term. But we also encourage that even though it's targeting the, the smallholder farmers, but there is also some financial solution that have been set aside even for the commercial sector to especially re- relieve them of some of the debt relief, especially those that are in distress. The emphasis is not only just on small-scale farmers, but also to make sure that the commercial guys who are mostly in the front line and producing food are also taken care of that. But to your question back, a fund that is limited with the constraint that we all know and are aware of, and if there are pockets of other support that could come in, I think it would be a welcome support by the farming community at large. I think the commercial sector would will be very glad to hear what you just said. Maybe just focus in there a little bit more. I know there is specifically after Minister Didiza's announcement, there was some concern from larger scale commercial agriculture that they were not included in those 1.2 billion injection that was announced. So there is some form of support coming for the commercial agriculture sector, as far as you know, as well. I'm certain there are more engagement to ensure that even the commercial sector is catered for. But even on the existing measures that we've seen, they might not be a directly a benefit to them. But we've seen that it's more of the voucher system, which will basically be linking to the existing agribusinesses that provide such services and commodities that are needed. So indirectly, it will be also benefiting the, the commercial and the large agribusinesses that are operating in the sector. So that will automatically kick in, given the large interlinkages between the small and, and the medium players in the sector. I think it's important to also mention that over and above the state announced measures, there are different instruments that already exist which caters for the sustainability of the sector, mainly catering also for the commercial sector. I'm talking about the Agricultural Industry Trust. I'm talking about the statutory levies, which are all financial instruments designed to ensure that every player in the sector is catered for and is supported. Again, also those instruments that I'm mentioning just like the state instrument, are relatively available to all repairs, but they are not sufficiently enough to cater all the needs of those that are in need of assistance. But they are there to support and to ensure that you at least prioritize those that are in distress immediately. So we're looking at a, a suit of all instruments that are available to farmers that can be made to assist every player that needs the assistance. It's very early days in this crisis, but if we start looking ahead and imagine a South Africa after COVID-19. Do you think there's going to be lasting fundamental changes brought on by this pandemic? Certainly in our economy, in our health system and other sectors, there will be some lasting effects into this economy. The manner in which it's structured, the manner in which it operates, the players, 
certainly a lasting effect on that. But there will also be lasting opportunities that every player must start looking at them and say, how do you position yourself to tap on those? We've already mentioned some of the technologies that are coming in. We've already mentioned that even the global trading system will not be the same as we have been experiencing over the last years. So that also gives an indication to say, what are those commodities that we're probably relying heavily onto the international markets and how do we can we basically start building our local domestic? If you were looking in our sector, for example, uh, 10, 15 years ago, we were self-sufficient on wheat, which caters for all other wheat-related products. We are now importing about 50% of our local demand. And this talks to now how, and one of the constraints, if you talk to the wheat industry players, is basically the research assistance into coming up with better varieties and adapting to changing climate conditions and finding in new regions that can grow this commodity. And I think this now presents an opportunity to say, how do you start generating and, and basically gaining for more research to support those industries, not just wheat, but other industries that provide opportunities so that we can start generating inter, um, local capacity and making sure that we reduce import substitution in commodities where we can generate competitive advantage to it. But more importantly also, it will start saying that, how do we start developing our local market? so that it becomes one of the key markets for our farmers. How do we start coming up with better supply systems to also tap into the institutional market and the regional market within the SACO region so that we are able to give more opportunities to our farmers? We all know that we continue preaching the idea of a value chain development in the sector. And the value chain development is a set, as you know, you can only pull the chain, you can't push the chain. And that talks to say, how do we assist in creating markets that are viable, profitable for every player in the value chain? And that talks about the local market. It talks to the regional market, but also maintaining export market where we have very good relations and we've been supplying them over the last century or more as a South African exporter into those markets. So those for me, I see them as the lasting opportunities that will emanate from this impact that we are currently having. Do you perhaps have any personal experience to share when it comes to maybe saving or any other strategies to prepare for unforeseeable disasters such as COVID-19? That is a difficult one, Kovac. <laughs> Having been a person who practices mainly on the policy advisory space, personally, one of the strategies that we'll have to pursue with a, a vigorous effort and every energy that we have is basically a stronger communication and partnership between the private, the government, the labor, and civil society. We've already seen that a very good partnership that led into some of the measures put in place by all those players I've just mentioned in the past two weeks, where there was sort of marathon of saying, what do we deal with this? But using those kind of engagement and honest engagement for that matter, how do we create system that benefit everyone and create inclusive system from the supply side all the way to the market side and even on the processing part of it. I think for me, that would be the biggest advice I would give to everyone to say, this pandemic have basically taught us that a single player in the chain cannot do anything on its own. We need a collective effort that is inclusive, progressive, and beneficial to everyone. And if we can build that, I have a very optimistic that the sector and the country as a whole 
have very experienced leaders and both in the public and the private sector that are well knowledgeable, I have all the right interest to save the sector. And I think if we could just harvest that knowledge and work together to create a lasting solutions, we'll be able to come out more stronger and more wiser from this pandemic that we've just seen. Sifuso, I want to throw another curveball at you. If you were finance minister for a day, how will you manage the economy to reduce the inequality in our country? I'm really glad Don, that I'm not, and I'm not even standing on that line. <laughs> when we're looking at the structure of our economy, and if we were to compare it, current structure of economy with the structure that we had in 20 years or two, three decades ago, is that we've had a very sh- strong shift towards your service sectors and that we have lost the competitive advantage and the capabilities in your manufacturing and your primal industry, agriculture, as well as the mining. And we need to come up with policies that will unlock the potential of rebuilding the capacity you need at the manufacturing and the primal industries. And that, first of all, talks to saying, how do you come up with the reforms? But then as a minister of finance, make sure that you allocate your resources so that they can unlock and incentivize the investment in those areas you need. Because if you are able to revive the capacity and the operation, basically you re-industrialize your manufacturing, your primal industries, you'll be able to deal with the current big problems that are leading to inequality we've talked about. Our inequality currently is driven by your, your jobless migration to the metros, which then basically lead into the economy that you cannot all absorb all the big labor force that you're having in the country which leads into the situation we have now where we're basically a middle-income trap. We're a country that is a middle-income, but it's trapped and we have no progress to becoming an income level. So I think not only just as a minister of finance who are allocating resources, but as a working together with the, the colleagues in the policy formulation, in the implementation part, working also with all three spheres of government to say, how do you reindustrialize the country and make sure that you use the limited resources to incentivize and bring back confidence of businesses to plant their money in manufacturing agriculture and mining. But you also now start making sure that you deliberately target those policies that we've been toying around of localization and improving value addition of the commodities that we have so that you don't export raw material and then later import your processed product, which basically just start affecting your affordability for your consumers. That for me will be the first priority that I'll pursue as of immediate. In closing, we've all gotten to know ourselves and those close to us a lot better during this lockdown, I think you will agree. Can you share some useful lockdown survival tips that you've discovered with us? One of the most important one is that you try to respect and try to comply as much as you can and possibly within your means where you are to comply with your health regulation and health tips. One of the greatest tips that I found useful during this lockdown is that You try to basically separate between incorrect and inaccurate information with those that is accurate. Because if you follow the accurate information that is coming from verifiable resources, it tends to alleviate your fears and it keeps you informed so that you don't panic, you make rational decisions. That would be the primal advice to keep sanity during this COVID and to support every soldier, every health worker, every essential worker and players that are out there trying to make sure that we remain safe in our communities. So making sure that you have access to accurate and correct information is primal during this lockdown. And we must make sure that we all play our part to remain in our houses and we isolate. 
Chief Economist at the Agricultural Marketing Council, Dr. Sufiso Ndombela. Thank you so much for joining us today and all the best for the rest of the lockdown. Thank you very much and thanks for the opportunity for inviting me. To our listeners, thank you for downloading this podcast. Please go like us, rate us and share this podcast so we can reach even more listeners. Till next time. You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track Podcast, supported by Food Form Zanzi. For more information, find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za.